Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a returning guest, uh, one of my favorites, Stuart Tomk, a natural health aficionado and science guru who's worked at a litany of blockbuster nutrition companies like Nordic Naturals, North American Urban Spice, and most recently CV Sciences. They are the makers of Plus CBD Oil. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Al. Thank you for having me on. What a great conversation. We have a lot to talk about today and it's really deep. Yeah. So the last time you came on, we talked about CBD in general and sort of, um, we talked a little bit about omegas and, as well and oregano oil. We got into a few topics, but you know, there's some recent research you've discovered, uh, with between CBD and fat burning. Now, I mean, from my experience, uh, especially in California with, uh, medical marijuana being legal, all of the dispensaries and places have tons of CBD products, including yours, um, and others that are non-psychoactive and then they have it combined with THC products. So we're seeing CBD everywhere, like CBD for pets. You know, it's really popping up in the mainstream now, particularly here and probably where, uh, I don't know if it's allowed, probably everywhere. Um, so I would love you to get into, we're going to do, you're going to do a little brief overall of the systems in the body and, and get into the endocannabinoid system. And then you're going to go into talking about a little bit of this fat burning. So I guess just start us off, um, not from the beginning, but a little bit of a snapshot of CBD and the endocannabinoid system. Well, thank you. I think the best way for us to get our hands around the endocannabinoid system is just to refresh ourselves of the main body systems. We have the integumentary system, the organ system that protects the body from various kinds of damage, like loss of water or abrasion from the outside. And that system is made up of our skin and appendages, including hair, scales, even feathers if you're a bird or hooves if you're an animal. <laughs> I hope they're listening. <laughs> and so if you have an imbalance in that system, it manifests itself as acne or athlete's foot or skin cancer, or psoriasis. So those are just a few examples. Then there's the skeletal system, the framework of the body that consists of the bones and other connected tissues, which protects and supports the body tissues and internal organs. Now, if you get that goes cuckoo nuts, you get arthritis, bone cancer, leukemia, and osteoporosis, just to name a few. Then we have the nervous system. A lot of us are aware that our nervous systems are stressed out, and it's a network of nerve cells and fibers that transmit nerve impulses between parts of the body. If you have an imbalance in that system, it may manifest itself as headaches or migraines, epilepsy, Parkinson's, even multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's disease are diseases of the nervous system. Now the cardiovascular system is an organ system that basically permits blood to circulate and transport nutrients. And we know those imbalances, coronary artery disease, heart attack, abnormal heart rhythm, and then the endocrine system, which you know a whole lot about and have written all about, a collection of glands that produce hormones that regulate metabolism, growth and development, tissue function, sexual function, reproduction, sleep, and even our mood. Imbalances there, we all know hypothyroidism, osteoporosis, syndrome X, prediabetes, thyroid cancer, type 1, type 2 diabetes. Then we have the muscular system, an organ system consisting of skeletal smooth and cardiac muscles. And it permits movement of our body, helps us maintain posture, and circulate blood through our body. Imbalances there genetically would be things like muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, fibromyalgia. A lot of people are struggling with that. Or even a rotator cuff or muscle cramps or tendonitis. Those are problems with the muscular system. Now, I know that was a whole lot to digest, L, but I think that gives us a good foundation of the different systems, clearly there's the reproductive system, but I think I can spore you the, spare you the short analysis of the birds and bees, right? <laughs> I think I'm, uh, think I'm pretty well versed there. But I, I like this because it's just an overall, like these are all the systems and 
you know, the endocannabinoid system, right? Or you say the endogenous cannabinoid system. I'm not sure the, I guess we can refer to it as ECS. What's the proper terminology? Yes, we call it ECS for short, but the endogenous endocannabinoid system sits on top of and regulates all of those body systems by controlling metabolism in all of its different facets and even free radical production, which is very important because we know that homeostasis is the balance of well-being and free radicals are the foundation of homeostasis. Now the system, the ECS, is named after the plant that led to its discovery, cannabis. So if you hear endocannabinoid system, and it sounds similar to cannabis, that's because the system was named after the plant. Now it's a collection of cell receptors. I want us to think of those as locks and corresponding molecules. Let's imagine them as keys. Now we also have a little bit of machinery in there that manufactures and inactivates these biological keys when they're required or say no longer needed. And that machinery that orchestrates the creation or selection of those keys, we call those enzymes. So this is a naturally human ingrained personal cannabis system that you're going to learn as the ECS and it's Wait, I want to interject real quick. So again, that w- on the receptor angle a little bit. So is that why the cannabis plant affects us in the way it does is because we have receptor? I mean, it sounds like a dumb correlation there, but right? Isn't that the case? That's truly the case. It's something within us that's naturally responding to this other because we have the receptor for it, correct, correct or no? Correct. In fact, L, this was exciting to me to learn. I didn't know until very recently that the cannabis one receptor is the single most abundant receptor in the human brain. How's that? The most abundant receptor. What's going on there? I mean, that tells you something. And then you've got the CB2 receptor, and that's throughout the whole body. But this naturally ingrained cannabis system that we call the ECS for short is activated by many different factors, most notably our body's self-made marijuana-like compounds. I know that seems like a lot, but they're known as endocannabinoids or neuromodulatory lipids. You hear that? Red flag, red flag. Hang on there. L, endocannabinoids are lipids. They're fats. I like it. I like it even. I like them even more now. (laughs) Fats that act like marijuana in the human body. Okay. Endo meaning internal or within and cannabinoids that are derived primarily from the plant that the ECS is named after, cannabis. So, Is that why it's always in a fat delivery or is better, they say, when you're doing even edibles with marijuana, let's say, which has THC, that it's better to ingest with fat because its effects will be more powerful? Is it more like a fat-soluble type of thing? Well, first of all, the, the cannabinoids are very, very, very lipophilic for sure. But the ones that your body makes are made from body fat The ones that come from plants are made from plant material. And the part that is so confusing for people is both your homemade marijuana-like compounds that you make from body fat and the plant compounds, THC and CBD and so forth, both the plant and the body's natural cannabinoids all speak to the same receptor sites. That's why it is so confusing for people. And that's why people, and we'll just clear up right from the front and we can get into it later, but taking, for, for example, you do not ingest THC, you do not uh, engage in the psychological effects of, of drugs, and so, but you use CBD. And so for people out there that are like, ooh, it's a drug or it's going to make me feel high, that's not the case. CBD and THC are different. Maybe touch on that for a second, even though I know we brought it up in the last podcast with you, but just to clear up, because that's still a fear of everybody's, right? And maybe we're going to get into that later, but definitely want to touch on that. No, it's an important distinction. I, I The first time Uh, I heard a a physician scientist explain it in a way that made perfect sense to everyone in the audience. I was at the Scripps Integrative Medical Conference, and I heard the great Scott Shannon, MD, from the Wholeness Center in Colorado. And he was explaining it like this, Al. He said, why don't we think about cannabis and compare it to green tea? 
Green tea is made up of a myriad of different compounds. We're familiar with the epigallocatechin gallate, that would be the antioxidant. The ECG, right, that we always look for in the... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then we know about L-theanine because that's the anxiolytic. That's the one that kind of helps to relax you. Where we all know about caffeine, that's the stimulant. So Dr. Shannon said, maybe we can make that a similar comparison to cannabis. Perhaps the CBD is like the L-theanine, so it can relax you and calm you. And the THC, which we know is psychoactive, is more like the stimulant. So you make an excellent point. Hemp-derived low THC products elevate, they do not sedate. So there's no issue of you feeling tired with CBD products. If anything, they're going to give you more energy. It, that, that was a great way to explain that because I think um, they, they are separate even though they're from the same source, which is a really great example that, that um, Dr. Shannon uh, relayed. I like it. And I've heard others say, of course we couldn't understand what these compounds do if you're smoking a joint. You're smoking all 500 different compounds in varying ratios. <laughs> How do we know what they do? And it really wasn't until they started separating CBD from THC, that's when they could really see that they're distinct molecules that have completely different disparate effects in the body. And that yes, they may work synergistically, but we also know that caffeine by itself is effective and L-theanine by itself is effective. You see the analogy? Yeah, no, and I love the analogy. It's a great way to explain it. So these receptors, this whole system that I'm so jacked up about was discovered during the late 1980s and early 1990s. And I don't know about anybody else, but I was more interested in dance music back then. I wasn't following the endocannabinoid system. I was into some deep Chicago house, player. <laughs> Just to put it in context, but scientists, you know, they were, I've learned this. Do you know why they were investigating the system or try, they didn't even know it existed yet. They were, what they were investigating, L. They wanted to find out why cannabis made people high. What was the psychotropic activity of cannabis and its most known cannabinoid, tetrahydrocannabinol? That's THC. They just wanted to figure out how it works. And here's what happened. While they were doing their homework, scientists discovered that cannabis receptors or cannabis locks, once they found those little receptors or those little locks, L, they immediately knew that if you have a cannabinoid receptor, to your point earlier, then we absolutely must make cannabis ourselves. Much the same way we make serotonin. We make serotonin because we have serotonin receptors. We're not born with locks that require keys that exist exclusively outside of our body. Does that make sense? It's great. Yes, it does. Born like that, there's no way. So these keys have varying degrees of affinity or door opening power. Now, some keys may only partially open these locks, while others may open more than is required. Here, I came up with an example. I know that's complicated. So I came up with this. Listen, we all know and appreciate that we have nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Even if you've never heard of them, you know we have nicotine receptors. Now, we know that we make a compound that speaks to that receptor. It's a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and it speaks to that receptor. Now, the same nicotine lock also responds to another key, a drug, or an agonist called nicotine. Do you know why nicotine is so powerful? Because you have nicotine receptors. Do you remember the first time you smoked a cigarette? Most likely. I do. Most likely, yes. Look, do you remember the second time? Um, probably not as much as the first. The first time, right, you get really lightheaded immediately. Because of that confirmation of the nicotine into the nicotine receptor. So there are two major receptors or two major locks in our body's cannabis system. And we first have the CB1 lock. And that's located mainly in the brain. Remember, I said it's the most abundant receptor in the human brain. And what it does is it modulates neurotransmitter release in a manner that prevents excessive neuronal activity. It can calm and decrease anxiety, as well as reducing pain, inflammation, regulating movement and posture control, and regulates sensory perception, memory, and cognitive function. So check this out, Al. THC speaks to the CB1 receptor. When you use cannabis, 
You speak to the CB1 lock. The key is the THC. The lock is the CB1 receptor. All of a sudden, your movement is off a little bit. You don't stand as <laughs> Your perception's a little different. You don't remember everything as quickly as you did, and it affects some of your memory. Because what we did was we had the key to open up that particular lock. Does that make sense? It's great. Now, it also, it also protects from electron transport generated free radicals. That's the CB1 receptor. So your CB1 receptor is very, very important. Now, the CB2 receptor, which is equally as important, is located in the body. So the CB1 is primarily in the brain, and the CB2 is primarily in the body, in the periphery, in the lymphoid tissues. Now, CBD does something totally different than THC. It helps to mediate the release of cytokines from immune cells in a manner that helps to reduce inflammation and pain. L, from your research, how many of these aberrant metabolic derangement issues that we're faced with as people that can't maintain their weight, how much of that is being driven by inflammation? 99.9%. I mean, a lot of it. And that, and that is actually my knowledge of people using CBD, not only for inflammation, but of like, you know, for sleep or anxiety. Um, but I mean, absolutely. And that's why, you know, paleo primal, low carb live-in is an anti-inflammatory way to go. And even further ketosis, which is super anti-inflammatory because we have all these in, at every base of every disease, it's pretty much sp sprouted from inflammation. So, yeah, I mean, the, the research and what's going on with CBD for, and its anti-inflammatory effects, in fact, I just started to use the Plus CBD oil um, after getting a sample from you guys at Bulletproof Conference. And, you know, because I, I want to inhibit inflammation, I also exercise a lot, and I feel like taking a low dose, I'm trying it out. Well, I'm, I can't wait to hear your response. I, I promised that I was going to keep some of my obsession with the mechanisms of action at a silent roar. But I do want to suggest <laughs> that for those of you that are interested, that CBD appears to downregulate tumor necrosis factor alpha. And if we can prove that in a human model, that's in a rat model, this stuff appears to be herbal humera, stopping a hyperactive cytokine storm. So anyone out there that has an autoimmune condition, that has some idiopathic, you can't figure out what it is. You did your 10-year vegan, now you're on paleo, and you still don't feel right. There could be a dysfunctional endocannabinoid system. Now, here's also what we've learned. The CB2 receptors that are located in that periphery in the lymphoid tissue that are involved in this cytokine immune modulation also supports the metabolic shift to a more productive fat burning. Now, that was something that I know is just rings like a bell with your audience. My point is you need the cannabinoid 2 receptor is the lock. It needs the right keys to open up the lock to shift us to more efficiently burn fat as opposed to carbohydrates. So not just changing the substrate of food that's coming through the mouth. We're talking about motivating metabolism via the endocannabinoid system that was only discovered in 1992. And because of prohibition, the keys to open up those locks, we only have one. We'll talk about that at the end. It's a pharmaceutical, which most of our audience doesn't want. So here's where it gets exciting. The CBD has a very weak binding affinity to CB1 or CB2. And so unlike drugs, it depends on concentration, and it can act based on how much you take. If you take a little bit, it can have a very relaxing effect. If you take a whole lot of CBD, you can even get even more energy. So here's what we're finding that's so exciting. The total plant complex, this is where you take nature, the cannabis plant with 500 natural compounds, 100 different cannabinoids, many of which are available in micro dosages. Have you been reading about that too, L, using these cannabinoids in microdosing? Well, I'm only taking like the one milligram little oil microdosing because you had suggested that that might be a better way to start, which would be to just start with a little little microdosing. Okay, I think that's great, but that's there's even more. They're, they're doing it online. You see a lot of research looking at cannabinoids and other compounds. 
in the microdose hormetic amount. And what's so interesting is that the small amounts of cannabinoids that are in there with the 500 different compounds seems to be providing what we have as a nutrient-dense hemp superfood. So instead of just pounding away at the CB1 or CB2 receptor, it really feeds and nourishes the entire endocannabinoid system. So I promised to make it easy. I want to back up here, take a breath. So let's think of this system. Let's imagine cannabis cell receptors as little teeny minuscule locks on the surface of your cells. Now the keys to these locks are chemical molecules. We call them keys, they're called agonists. Now each time a key binds to a cell, it relays a message giving your cells very specific directions. It's simple, the right key opens the right lock and if you learn which locks to open, then you really may be holding the key to truly remarkable health. Now that we understand how this endocannabinoid system works. Well, and people are actually achieving remarkable health and results with inflammation and other disorders and health problems through CBD already. Can you just, you know, briefly touch on that on some of the things you've seen it really positively affect? Yes. And that's where um, we always want to square the proposed mechanisms of action with what the clinicians are really telling us and what we're seeing. So this would be sort of the low hanging fruit, the immediate first response that most people have when using CBD is it works like a safe, effective, natural antidepressant. That would be the immediate first benefit. Then for nervous system health issues, if you do not sleep regularly, I don't care how committed you are to the lifestyle, you're not going to burn energy as efficiently. We all know that. So a fat burning is part of our deal, and it is with me too, Ella, I'll tell you, I I walk the walk and talk the talk. Oh, man, you look so amazing for your age and in general. If anyone saw you in person who is listening to this podcast, they'd be like, I want to do whatever he's doing. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost 50, and I'm wearing the same pants I was sophomore year of high school. It's awesome. No, and you're glowing. Your skin is amazing. Like, you are glowing. Yeah. And I was not this vibrant three years ago before I found CBD. I'll tell you, I had done – I was the guy that did the 10-year vegan, then did the paleo. You know, I, I'll try anything. But one thing that I learned was with me sleeping more fish efficiently and having less of those roller coaster mood spikes, that the effect that that had by not having that on my cardiometabolic health, balancing insulin sensitivity, management of central obesity, adipokine and myokine profiles, sensitizing you, that sending signals to the brain that you've had enough. Here's one you'll love this, L. THC gives you the munchies. CBD tells you that you've already eaten dinner. So do I drop? So do you drop the CBD first, then hit the THC, or do you? Just, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. But I mean, I mean, I guess that's why people are doing it together. Is that part uh, of the reason? Well, now the uh, the intelligentsia, I can at least speak for the cannabis community that I know. They will take CBD during the day, and you take a little bit of THC at night. Interesting. Yes, that's how they're doing it. That's how the stoners are doing it? <laughs> but I think it's just, you were the stoner, or anybody might have been, if you were just smoking 500 compounds all day long, and you didn't even know what they did. Sure. When we're, pe we're taking them apart and looking at the right dosages and not doing too much, here's one thing we're finding out about cannabis. A little bit goes a long way. There is a different effect at a low dose than at a higher dose. And the Native American Indians, they said it better than anyone. This is their folklore of cannabis. Listen to this. If you take a little bit from it, it gives you a lot. If you take a lot from it, it gives you very little back. Interesting. So that's why the, the subtlety of these compounds, the concophony of these compounds, the nutrient density of these things working together. Now, I want to quickly go back to something, if you don't mind, because this is a connection for us with arachidonic acid. You know, that's the primary omega-6 found in flesh, eggs, meat, fish, flesh. When your body makes cannabis-like compounds, it makes them from arachidonic acid omega-6. Isn't that fascinating? That is. So, and what, give me the implications or the... I just wanted you to get that connection of how you've got the plant cannabinoids we've been talking about, CBD and THC, and the others... 
then the endocannabinoids in the body, the body's cannabis-like compounds, are made from the primary long-chain fat found in animal flesh. Now, I see, right. I see a connection there. Oh, I know a connection. Oh, yes, I know. I see that connection. I didn't know if there was another one. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I'm a little late to the game on that one. Um, and one of the- no, that's great. That's great. Well, that makes absolute sense. It makes sense that that's exactly we're we're designed to consume the fat and flesh of things that had parents. It makes perfect sense. And so most people don't know the endocannabinoid system is what differentiates invertebrate from vertebrae to begin with. So the, the two primary endocannabinoids that we make, one is called anandamide and the other one is called 2 glycerol. So we just call that 2-AG because that's just too long to pronounce. Now anandamide is a full key at the CB1 receptor. Now, do you remember from the beginning, what else talks to the CB1 receptor? THC. CBD doesn't speak to the CB1 receptor very much, but your body's cannabis-like compound is called anandamide, which means bliss in Sanskrit. It's the bliss neurotransmitter. So dig this, when you're in love, when you're exercising, it's not just brain-derived nootropic factor. No, no, no. It's not just oxytocin. It's more than that. It's anandamide. Anandamide is the runner's high. When you get a runner's high, you're flooding your body with the key to unlock the endocannabinoid CB1 lock, which is the most abundant G-protein coupling receptor in the human brain. Now, what does this do? The CB1 receptor plays a role in memory, right? So if you smoke too much THC, you forget stuff. And hunger, which is very important when you weigh 80 pounds and you're in the intensive care unit. Then you want hunger so that you don't waste away. That's right. That's when the THC's uh, appetite-inducing compounds uh, or components uh, are are much needed. Yeah, Life-saving and nausea and potentially cancer as well. Now, the other one that your body makes, the 2-AG, that's also a full key at the CD1 receptor or lock. And that one, L, is found in breast milk. And it's what produces appetite in infants. It's what causes the suckling so that the infant knows how to feed. So two arachidonoglycerol. Remember I said it's a fat messenger that acts like marijuana? Breast milk is loaded with an endocannabinoid called two arachidonoglycerol. The baby takes a little bit of that, starts suckling, and knows to eat. This stuff is so important. So So fascinating. And so that's what the the endocannabinoids do. Then you've got the phytokeys, the phytocannabinoids. They come from cannabis. Now, the cannabis plant produces cannabinoids, which act on CB1 and CB2, very much like the endocannabinoids act on CB1 and CB2. However, These compounds produce a similar but much longer-acting effect. You see, you don't feel your endocannabinoids, but you feel THC, don't you? Right. So it's a much, I see what you're saying. It's a, yeah, it's a much longer lingering. Much longer. Now, all the different cannabinoids have sort of different affinities with different locks, but we need to keep this entire orchestration in mind. It's quite remarkable. Because we're learning for a fact that we are homeostatically maintained by this system, L. And homeostasis has no official measurement, does it? So essentially, it's like, let's nurse that system. It may have been underdeveloped or inhibited in other ways or, or deficient. And it's time to maybe give it a little bit of spark it up, is what you're saying. It can be congenital. It can be environmental. I mean, someone says to you, are you in homeostasis? Are you in balance? <laughs> it's subjective, right? <laughs> well, it's also just like talk about a game of guesswork. Yeah, I mean, I mean. It's completely. So, because there's no way to measure this, I call it emotional and physical agility. Can you adapt to a constantly adapting environment? How's your internal ninja doing today? Yeah, no, and you know what? Mine's killing it today. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It is. <laughs> it is definitely. Uh, I I would tend to say that, you know, sometimes people feel good physically, but then they're not looking at this component you just mentioned, which I agree. Can you handle the ups and downs, the emotions, the overwhelming components that come up? And when that's when you feel the best. 
Yes, not just when you're the strongest physically. And I understand the beauty in that. Please don't get me wrong. But over time, as we know, the body fades. And if the mind is not solid and in a good place, we will be in a bad place because a homeostatic endocannabinoid system is crucial in maintaining vitality and is fundamentally responsible for our overall sense of well-being. A balanced ECS results in us being able to function and feel our best without the side effects that are common in prescription medication. The ECS operates as a homeostatic regulator of wellness and well-being. So here's the big rub. Ready? Discordant levels of endocannabinoids are frequently encountered, but we don't have any possible way to scan them, test them, or measure them. There's no way to know what's going on in real time with living patients. That's why- It's an experimentation individual process. It might always be that way. There's no PET scans. There's no way to, you have to find out yourself. Now, this brings up the most, I think, interesting idea in the entire narrative of cannabis, and that's what's called endocannabinoid deficiency. Have you ever heard of that? No, only through you. But I mean, I, I, I understand the concept more now, and I see where it's going. And so this is so important, uh, and I had the great privilege, it was such an honor, to meet Ethan Rousseau, R-U-S-S-O-M-D. Please, everyone look him up. He was the lead scientific uh, medical advisor at GW Pharmaceuticals before he went in to start his own company with Professor Mashulam, who discovered THC. So it was a truly honor to meet him. And he's the one that positioned this argument, and he said it like this. It was so cute. So imagine we've got 20 of us. We're all health seekers, you, me, bunch of your buddies, my buddies. We're all hanging out by a campfire. We're all camping, and we're all struggling with our health challenges. And we decide, okay, we haven't used cannabis. We're going to try some cannabis. So we select some low THC, high CBD cannabis. So we've got stuff that's a little bit more user-friendly, right? And we're all using this little cannabis. Some of us feel so much better. I mean, we really think we found our answer. A couple of people don't feel anything, and there's two out of the 20 people are so paranoid they're never going to do it again. Right. They're like hearts racing and they're freaking out. (laughs) No way, no, because, you know, THC can cause tachycardia. So what this argument is, is clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. Here's what it is. Vitamin C reverses scurvy and probably does a whole lot more in people that are really, really, really low in it. Vitamin D, like David, makes a huge impact on how you feel when you're really low in it. If you have anemia, iron is such a big game changer because you're low in it. Are you following the, the thought? Yeah, no, absolutely. So that that then explain that makes it even more nuanced in first you got to try it to find out if it's right for you and you should start low and slow. Now then when you say try it, well what's out there to try? And here's here's this is where it all comes together for the nutrition people. Anyone following nutrition your whole life or if you're new at this, you're going to love this next part. We've learned that these locks prefer very, very gentle, subtle nudges or keys. They don't like forceful shoves. They don't want someone to just knock the darn door down. That's what a drug does. A drug is a very aggressive way to go after one particular target. See, what we found is in nature, with the 500 natural compounds working together with 100 different cannabinoids, it acts more like a skeleton key that opens several different doors in your building as opposed to a precision key, you know, the kind you can't make copies of, that only opens one very specific door, you hope. So that's why a single molecule drug is a very specific key that you hope only opens that one door. Now, <laughs> now we now when people say, okay, well, what's the approved drug to open up the ECS door? The only approved drug we have, do you remember Marinol? Do you remember that drug? No, I'll tell you why I remember it. And I can speak to uh, experiences from other people. I used to volunteer one-on-one in San Francisco for people dying with AIDS many years ago. And we had extensive training and you'd work one-on-one with these people. And sometimes it was, you know, help uh, cleaning their home, helping them, you know, run errands and get groceries. And uh, one of the patients that I was helping out, 
they had in San Francisco at the time the first um, marijuana club, you medical marijuana, and uh, you had to have a license, but you could bring someone, and I would uh, bring these people. And several of them, the AIDS patients at the time, tried Marinol, and their reviews were horrible. They would much rather go and smoke marijuana. They got just, it, it, it would like put them out on the couch. It would just knock them down, just knock them out. And it, it made them really unfunctional. And they were already having issues with energy because they had full-blown AIDS. So um, Marinol, at least from what I heard from AIDS patients at the time, was a seriously bad review of the effects of it. Not only was it a precision key that only opened a specific lock, but it was what we call a stereoisomer, which is the shadow opposite and it has very poor binding affinity for the receptor sites. It's the only approved key or pharmaceutical or agonist that has been approved by the Food and Drug Administration to open the endocannabinoid system's lock. It's poor. Right, so it's the only FDA approved, but that doesn't mean much to us in this world because you and I take a lot of things that aren't FDA approved that happen to be supplements or other things that you and I believe in or or help us uh, through our personal experience, right? So I, I see what you're saying, though. It is the only sort of FDA approved, quote, drug uh, version of this. But I look at the plus CBD oil and the other things as more of a supplement. And I do want to say I have been taking it for a month and I didn't take it for sleep, but I've only taken one milligram a day. And I have to say, I really feel, I've been feeling great this past month and I'm not just giving lip service to your product, but I'm looking forward to a little bit of a longer test run. Um, but I have been feeling great. Um, and I'm not sure. Again, it's like I, I'm sort of sold on it and I like the addition of it so far and I'm going to keep going and see what happens. And that dosage... Again, hormetic, a different amount affected a smaller dose than a larger dose. And if you look at Marinol, you know, they're sold in 2.5 milligram capsules. And you're taking one milligram of CBD. They're only making the synthetic THC 2.5 milligrams. You know how much a 60-count bottle of Marinol costs without insurance? 720 bucks. Yeah, that's horrible. And what's a, and what is CBD? Like, it's a fraction. <laughs> It's a fraction of that. I mean, it's, it's a tenth of the price. And we're learning that these synthetic keys, here's the most important part. You know, you, you, the reviews, this, you know, we didn't even talk before this. That's what I love about a podcast. Those reviews that you heard at the clinic, thank you for giving your time, right? Service is the rent we pay for our time on earth. These synthetic keys are failing to best activate the cannabis receptor locks simply because they avoid our, and are of, and are void of the additional buffering agents. Nature works for a reason. I'm not talking about- Right, right. No, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, you kind of knew that was going to be a losing game when they're like, let's take this natural product and then manipulate it into a, you know, Pfizer-based drug, charge a thousand bucks for it. And it turns out it sucks in practice. And so what what we see with the the whole complex of the products that we're offering is that they work in these very complex, circuitous ways. And so for the crescendo- are getting near there, what I wanted it to, to build up to for you was that when you use our product, we don't just speak to the CB1 receptor and the CB2 receptor. There's an expanded system through the body. And some of the newest cutting edge research is now looking at some of these other what we call expanded cannabinoid receptors. And they're looking at obviously in mice first. But we are confident that our products speak to these other receptors. And what we recently found was in this one animal study, using the CBD decreasing plasma glucose in animals, 20%, reducing circulating insulin, 47%. Yeah, this is really, really important because, you know, this is not only in synergistic uh, action with the helping the metabolo- uh, metabolism and fat burning properties that CBD can offer, but now uh, along with that, more insulin sensitivity and, and decreased blood glucose levels. Yeah, after 28 days of treatment, plasma glucagon concentrations were reduced. Glucose tolerance was enhanced by 19 to 44 percent triglycerols were reduced 19%. Listen, total cholesterol, again, animal model, but using these complex animal, complex uh, matrices from plants, total cholesterol reduced 17%. So we're talking about something that can protect you from free radical damage, something that actually helps to switch you from carbohydrate to fat burning via the CB2 receptor. 
So for those of you that want to do your own deep dive on the CB2 receptor, that's where the action is. So we really have a superfood here, something we've never seen before that can help balance a healthy nervous system, reduce anxiety, help you stay asleep, increase insulin sensitivity, increase satiety signaling, balance heart rate variability, and, and support the immune system in a way we haven't been able to do so before. It's really amazing, and it's getting more and more popular, and more and more CBD products are coming out there. I know you guys were one of the first people on the scene uh, for this. Tell us a little bit, you know, sort of in, in closing, uh, A, what if there's anything else you'd like to share with us, but that was just sort of a great little expose on this. Tell us about, you know, your products. So, you you know, like the one I have is a little uh, mint-flavored, oil-based, little kind of just put a pump in your mouth type of drops. And it, how else do we use CBD or can people use it? Well, you can use it topically. And many people that are new to this, L, they feel comfortable using it topically first. So we have a plus CBD oil balm with a green label, which denotes that we use the entire plant. Anytime you see a green label like the spray you have, that means total plant complex. Think of all the 500 compounds and 100 cannabinoids, seed stem stalk, natural vitamin E, um, all the terpenes that are in there, the plant sterols and the chlorophyll, all that good stuff together. Now, the balm is very good if you have, say, a big swollen knee because synovial fluid is very rich in these cannabinoid receptors, which we've now learned about. And if you're sick, certain pathologies cause these cannabinoid receptors to get hyper overregulated so that your body can make endocannabinoids to bring you back to balance. It's so cool. No, it's really such a cool, and, and it's funny. I mean, people who listened a lot, the last podcast with you, and I've said it before, you always manage to just wonderfully, and I think it's because of your passion, you always end up on always whatever's the latest, most awesome thing that's happening. Like when you were with, you know, you know, you're the guy that basically came up with and even invented the idea of ingesting oregano oil for the properties. Uh, and then everyone copied him. And then um, Dr. Cass Ingram, and then you worked for Nordic Naturals. They were like so first on the scene with the fish oil program and became the most popular company who does it. And now you're with um, CV Sciences and um, doing this plus CBD oil. And CBD is just so huge right now. It's so it's so great that you've gotten to be able to follow your passion. And it's I, I'm always interested in what you're doing because it's usually something I might want to tap into. And I did get on the fish oil train and you know I'm still on it. And my omegas are great. I, I do believe in getting them tested. You and I both spoke about that. Stop guessing, start testing. So it, uh, you know, obviously don't go out there and just douse yourself in all these supplements. But I, I really like the idea of this being something you can sort of test and individually check out on your own. And it doesn't necessarily involve blood work. And it's seemingly quite harmless, if anything, incredibly beneficial. And I think the only, well, the biggest challenge, I'll say, the biggest challenge we will have in the adoption cycle is not everyone is a listener to your podcast. And not everybody is an early adopter. Only about 10% of us are early adopters. So the thing that we need to think about and meditate and figure out ways to communicate is you will know if your endocannabinoid system is involved in you not feeling well once you start taking the CBD products. What do I mean by that? You will know if you feel better. Can you believe that we have to tell people that, L? Right. No, but I, but that's no, it's just a lesson one. Yeah. One on one. I mean, but it's still, I hear it all the time. Even doctors. Well, how will I know Stuart when I have the right dose? I say, are you in pain? Yeah. Will you know if you're not in pain? Absolutely. When you're not in pain, you found the right dose. And it's so different than take two and call me in the morning because sometimes you might drink one cup of coffee. I don't drink any. Sometimes people drink two in the morning and two in the afternoon or two at night. You just, you will have to find your own CBD dosage. But when you do, I mean, we're going to start a little campaign. Did you find your number? People actually found their number. Our top medical director, he only uses six milligrams of CBD per day. I was using 250 L and now I'm down to 10 milligrams a day. That's all I take. So that's, so that's, so you're, so you, again, you, you tapped satisfied, things got in order. And as things got in order, you became more, I guess we should say, endocannabinoid efficient, and then you uh, needed less. And, and we're not alone with that observation. I, I have a case report that was just published. A, a young girl 
that was in a horrible, horrible place. She was in January 2012. She displayed aggressive, disobedient behavior, low self-esteem, and she had a workup. And they looked at thyroid dysfunction, L, and they didn't find anything. They looked at vitamin D deficiency or iron deficiency. They didn't find anything. They put the girl on one milligram a night of melatonin and, and uh, inositol three grams three times a day and 500 milligrams of EPA to help with her anxiety. But that didn't do it. And then they put her on some colonidine, and that caused hallucinations. So they discontinued her from that. And then they went to counseling sessions and and they said, okay, great, we've got to get her into something else. They started trying CBD, 25 milligrams, one capsule before bedtime, and six to 12 milligrams during the day for anxiety. Now, this has all just been published in a peer-reviewed journal, and the main finding of the study is that CBD oil can be an effective compound to reduce anxiety and insomnia secondary to post-traumatic stress disorder. Here's the best part. We do not have a reasonable foundation to recommend dosing from the scientific literature yet. However, in our clinical experience, this supplement given from 12 to 25 milligrams once daily appears to provide relief of key symptoms with minimal side effects. And L, you're only using one milligram. And here's the big drum roll. The ultimate goal is to gradually taper her off the use of CBD oil and transition our patient into lifelong coping strategies, such as yoga, meditation, and various other therapeutic activities. That's the goal, get you balanced, to have you develop lifelong coping strategies to get us free of dependence on anything outside of ourselves. Right, oh, that that poor case study lady. Um, I. It's very interesting too, I mean, it's great as well, something often like other supplements where, you know, you can take it for a while, you get things in order, and then you can kind of stop and things are self-regulated. And only if things start to dip, do you need to maybe touch base with it? So it sounds like CBD is also uh, a similar thing. Now, obviously, I'm sure there's cases where people um, can't maybe get down to one milligram or less, and they might need the use of regular CBD for longer periods of time. But it just sounds like it's, it can be used as a temporary, uh, you know, regulator and helper of the system. And then you can sort of taper it off and bow out. I mean, in my case, I was taking it for resentment and mental health. I'm serious. And I, it's, it's you, so I'm going to be, you know, take my, I don't have any hair left. I'm bald, so I'm let my hair down. Well, right. And you mentioned on the last podcast, you knew where every hatchet was buried, right? And, where, yes. and, and, and yeah, I mean, it really helped you deal with that. So I guess it was a looking forward, not looking back for you. Not absolutely, because it helps you forget and the adaptive benefit of forgetting is so scary and misunderstood. We hear the adaptive benefit of forgetting. Right. It sounds like it's losing memory, and that's not what you're talking about. No. I'm talking about what if ha- – hey, how does this sound? Everything you know is wrong, period. That's a fact right now. Anything you think of, life, society, science, everything that you thought was a certain way, almost or everything that you thought you knew was wrong. What if the memories that you have of your childhood – if it's anything like me, some of those are memories that I'd like to edit. I'd like to let go of some of Right, or just not have the focus there. And I guess that too, it's a redirection of focus, where if you're in a space where you're continually focusing in, on the past and your mind's going to the negative, and again, we're talking about brain receptors here and, and all of the things involved with neurotransmitters and, and all of these things. So it makes sense that once you get that system in order, you're less inclined and less likely and probably happier and not interested in focusing and looking back on that stuff. It's, it's absolutely true. And we see it. You know how we can prove it and where we prove that out? PTSD. Because when you use PET scans, researchers have shown that levels of our CV1 receptor, we now know, is a G-protein coupling receptor, is the most abundant cannabinoid receptor and most abundant receptor in the human body, in the brain. Uh, in, the, in the brain of PTSD patients are elevated and largely unoccupied. So think about that. Most PTSD patients, which I believe that I was and I'm done. Right, and let's clarify that. PTSD doesn't have to be because you went to Afghanistan and you saw war, right? It, it can be from a traumatic childhood experience. It could just be from a lifelong of resentment and shitty behavior or patterns. It could be from anything. That's why I said, you, did you remember meeting my dad? 
No, no, I haven't. Okay, great. Sometimes that's enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, right, right, right. No, we've all heard about your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of things cause PTSD. So this, so think about this. They looked at, this was 2012. They did PET scans. They looked at post-traumatic stress disorder patients. What did they find? Hyper-upregulation of the locks, seeking keys to bring them to balance. Now, this increase in the CB1 receptors locks could be attributed to lower levels of endocannabinoids in post-traumatic stress disorder patients. So even the mechanism of how the body makes endocannabinoids from arachidonic acid is somehow compromised in PTSD patients. It's so fascinating to see this interaction together. So the ending is, is that those people might really benefit, as I benefited, from plus CBD oil. So if it's above and beyond wanting to maintain an ideal weight, if you want to maintain an ideal mental health balance, we need a new vision of natural mental health, and I believe CBD should be the number one herbal remedy in our toolkit to keep our minds sharp, healthy, and balanced. I love it. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. And can you just share uh, your websites with us so we know where to go and buy the product and look more into this? Yes, pluscbdoil.com. Please follow us on social media and let us know how you're doing as well. And the plug I always like to make, the only website I believe we should get our science from is pubmed.gov. P-U-B-M-E-D dot gov, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, the National Institutes of Health. If you go there and type in cannabidiol or CBD, you find just under 1,600 papers. If you were so inclined, you could become a world expert on CBD before the new year. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stuart. Great to have you. And uh, we will put some of these links in the show notes as well. And again, thanks again. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Huge hug, Al. Thank you. You too. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest-growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.